Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started today. Bet online, where the game starts. So I know we haven't done the deepest dive into March Madness this year, and Part of that is because March Madness, one, doesn't matter that much, but two, I really invested emotionally last year in March Madness. It was the first time we'd ever covered March Madness on the tournament. We were in the middle of the pandemic, so we were throwing ourselves way too much into sports, like the games themselves, and less so, I think, the stories that I find more interesting and you know, me not having balance in my life, but I haven't covered March Madness the way that I had wanted to this year, and I didn't really watch any college basketball up until the champ week, and even in champ week, I didn't watch a lot, and Friday, I was traveling, and you know, we just didn't get to uh, invest emotionally in the tournament this year the way that I normally would, which is, you can get by with that, especially in this weird, wacky sports world, because not everyone is a college basketball fan. In fact, not everyone really watches college basketball except out of three weeks out of the year but when we get these three weeks out of the year sometimes people get really into college or the people who are really into college basketball can sometimes get a little perturbed by people who come in not knowing college basketball filling out a bracket and then being absolutely correct about how they filled out a bracket because as crazy as college basketball can be it is ridiculously random which brings us to St. Peter's because St. Peter's might be the story of a generation of college basketball and I know I said that with Deshaun Watson and that being a a sports story of a generation but St. Peter's is the first 15 seed to ever make it to the Elite Eight and there's never been like 14 seeds or 13 seeds rarely ever is there a 12 seed that makes such a run and when there is a 12 seed we remember it forever george mason 2006 that was an 11 seed vcu in 2000 or 2006 george mason 2011 vcu 11 seed loyola chicago 2018 that was an 11 seed There is never a situation like this because only three times in the history of March Madness has a 15 seed even made it to the Sweet 16, and I've been alive and enough of a basketball fan to remember all of them, and I am only a young lad by relatively speaking history of March Madness. 15 seeds have only existed since 1985 in March Madness because that's when they expanded the tournament to 64 teams and you wouldn't have had 15 seeds before that because the seeding would have never gone that deep. But in the 30 years after that, there was no 15 seed beating a two seed. And then in 2013, you had Florida Gulf Coast beating 
I believe it was Georgetown as the two seed and San Diego State as the seven seed and then making it to the Sweet 16. And it was Dunk City and Sweet 15 and all that stuff. I think I was in the sixth grade when that happened. And then last year, it was Oral Roberts. And I remember we were watching their round of 32 game live with Blake Jude when Oral Roberts beat Florida and then the first round beat Ohio State with the gigantic athletic budgets that both of those programs have, and then they made it to the Sweet 16. And then literally the next year, 15 seed St. Peter's makes it to March Madness, or I'm sorry, makes it to the Sweet 16. They beat Kentucky, they beat Murray State, and then they beat number three seed Purdue. It wasn't like it was another Cinderella team and you get a weird fluky situation. They beat a legitimate top 15 team after beating a legitimate top five team in the first round of the tournament. And St. Peter's is a, is a school in New Jersey with a student uh, alumni or a student body that is about 400 people more than the high school that I went to. And I did not go, I went to a public school, but I did not go to a large high school. Like this was one of the smaller high schools in San Diego County. So they are the size of about a normal public high school. And yet St. Peter's is now in the Elite Eight as this Cinderella team that we'll remember forever, except now they're one of like six versions of that over the past 10 years, which we love those stories, right? Like college basketball is built off those stories of like anyone can make a deep tournament run and we'll fall in love with Sister Jean or we'll fall in love with those VCU teams or anyone who makes a deep run in the tournament is always something that, you know, um, non-super team in the sport, like Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish will still be the biggest storyline of our lifetime, and that undefeated Kentucky team that had seven future NBA players and Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns coming off the bench. Like, those teams are the things that will 100% draw attraction into a regional sport or a niche sport as I like to call it like niche sports are pretty much anything non-football and to a certain extent non-basketball like basketball is the second closest thing you have to it baseball is a regional sport with a gigantic audience basketball is a regional sport that matters for three weeks out of the year formula one is a regional sport with a famous netflix show and there's all kinds of regional sports in between some people pick and choose those some people like ufc some people like tennis some people like wrestling there's just so many options out there that you can't care about everything i didn't even mention soccer or hockey in the mix too and those are probably the fourth and fifth biggest sports in america but there's so many different options competing for entertainment and dollars that you can't pay attention to all of them. And basketball, casual ba- college, casual college basketball fans who get really into it during the three weeks of the year when college basketball really matters or the four weeks of the year when college basketball really matters, the first thing you look for is a, is a, um, a, a Goliath to take down. You know, those are the stories that, you know, everyone talks about not liking super teams, but the best storylines, especially in a star-driven sport like basketball, is the Goliath that is everyone's trying to take down. Those are the biggest storylines. And I think second to that is the da- is the Davids. 
Like the very, and again, this is a simple archaic way of phrasing it. Like David and Goliath is the story of, you know, I guess a time or across, across centuries. It's the story that's resonated in all of entertainment and all of narrative storytelling, which ultimately all of this is a form of storytelling, right? Stakes and storylines are what draw people into sporting events. It's one of my classic lines that I say all the time in sports. Stakes and storylines are the one thing that drive interest in sports. And so what does all of this have to do with St. Peter's? Well, the combination of March Madness, which is one game winner take all, and every team is relatively close to each other. Like you, It's similar to baseball, how the playoff format is incredibly random, but ultimately the best of the best can float to the top. the best of the best float to the top it just happens less often where your champion is less representative of an entire season than say football or basketball or you know to a certain extent hockey hockey has random playoffs but you know usually it's pittsburgh at at least recent history it's chicago and the kings it's pittsburgh and then it's washington and now it's tampa like at the end usually the best team floats to the top and there's chaos everywhere else in between college basketball is similar in that way where the one game winner go home creates the insane randomness of the playoffs and everyone is so close to each other that you can get invested in these games have incredibly high stakes so if we know they already have stakes and putting stakes on games one game winner go home random you have to watch because you never know what's going to happen where one team is celebrating after hitting a buzzer beater and another team has players crying on their way off the court. You have no idea how it's going to go. That creates the stakes, and the format of March Madness then needs storylines. And so what I was arguing before and how this relates to St. Peter's, I guess I should have clarified that on the front end. What I was arguing before is that the storylines that matter the most in college basketball can be simplified in the terms of the David and the Goliath. I will still attest that the most popular basketball, college basketball story of my lifetime in a sport that is now incredibly regional and doesn't matter like it did in the 1990s was Duke's 2019 team with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. That was a national phenomenon. It made people sit down in front of their televisions on ESPN and watch Zion Williamson play North Carolina and blow out his shoe. That was the storyline of a generation. And you could I could argue the second one was Kentucky in 2015, undefeated season, seven future NBA players. Those are just the two that stick in my mind as like national attention, bringing casual sports fans into college basketball and investing in the storylines and investing in the tournament and putting eyeballs on television, which is really important for the NCAA because the NCAA can sell eyeballs on the screen to CBS in future billion dollar March Madness contracts, which is where the NCAA makes the majority of their revenue because college football playoffs and college football revenue sharing is negotiated by the conferences, not the NCAA. So the NCAA makes their money by putting on this basketball tournament that they can sell by bringing eyeballs like Duke did in 2019 or like Kentucky did in 2015. 
And if we had just gotten invested in Gonzaga, I feel like the same kind of thing would have happened. Now, obviously, Gonzaga lost to Arkansas. Hashtag basketball powerhouse Arkansas. Because I said for a while, Arkansas should absolutely just take all of that SEC football money and invest it into basketball. Because becoming a basketball powerhouse would make Kentucky or sorry, make Arkansas force of habit, Kentucky too, but make Arkansas so much happier if they just embrace the Kentucky model because Kentucky pays Mark Stoops in football an extra year extension with a pay raise every time he wins just seven games. Most coaches who are good at what they do can win seven games walking backwards in the SEC East because you play three games against non-power teams that you pay to beat up you play Vanderbilt and you play against either South Carolina or Missouri or Tennessee who always tend to be on downtrodden times and now it happens to be Florida also so you get to play those teams every year that's like five free wins you just have to win two of your other eight games and Mark Stoops gets a one-year extension and so that was a weird aside. Arkansas basketball powerhouse beat Gonzaga on Thursday. They should absolutely just start investing in being a basketball power now that they've made back-to-back Elite Eights. And by the time people are listening to this, might have made it to the Final Four by ending Coach K's basketball career. Those are the storylines that people can get invested in. Is the David or the Goliath? Goliath number one, like the idea of a Goliath is still the prominent storyline that draws people in, especially with stakes, because in a one-game winner-go-home, you can easily knock out the Goliath. As much as I didn't understand why people hated the Warriors so much, the Golden State Warriors, as much as everyone tried to knock off the Goliath, the Warriors did more often than not just dominate competition. It was only the Rockets, and it was only the Toronto Raptors, but it took Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles to take down the Golden State Warriors. But those two series are still two of the most fascinating final runs that we have seen. And Cavs-Warriors was such a good storyline for basketball that people got tired of after four years. And I still don't understand why, because it was so fantastic. But NBA wanted parody. They got parody. And yet still, even in the parody, the Suns and the Warriors, or the Suns and the Bucks might still end up in the finals for back-to-back seasons. It's all very strange and complex. The thing that I find fascinating about this is the David-Goliath storyline, when you don't have a Goliath and just put a David in the mix, is the next best thing college basketball can find. Because this St. Peter's team is slowly becoming a phenomenon. But there's been more Goliaths than ever before. And one of the questions I wanted to look at, non-specific to the St. Peter's team with the guy with the mustache who gets Buffalo Wild Wings advertisements and everything else in between, you know, a coach who used to be a famous basketball player and a tiny school from New Jersey that we can all get behind knocking off programs with gigantic athletic budgets, which by the way is exactly the reason why major college sports programs stop investing in basketball is because they get such minimal returns on investment because you can be Purdue, invest all your Big Ten resources into basketball, and whoop-de-doo, you lose to St. Peter's, and now you're a laughingstock for five years, where that never happens in college football. I shouldn't say never happens. Rarely ever happens in college football. Like, it happened to Florida State this year, 
and it happened to Michigan 15 years ago where it's just your program goes to shit because of one loss, it happens so much more often in college basketball. But it's happened more often in the last 10 years, and I can throw out a bunch of hypotheses about why that's the case. Why did we go from 30 years, no 15 seeds or no 14 seeds ever making two, three weekend runs in March Madness to now, you know, nine years ago, Florida Gulf Coast, UMBC 2018, 2021, Oral Roberts makes the Sweet 16, and 2022, you have uh, obviously now St. Peter's making the Sweet Six, or making the Elite Eight for the first time ever. And the fact that those runs correlate, and again, so the first part about it is a lot of this is random. It's all just slight increases in the percentage chances, right? So if zero across 30 years, 15 seeds made it past the first weekend of the tournament, and we can lump 15 and 16s into this as well. If we saw no, uh, no 15 seeds advance for the first 30 years of having 15 seeds in the tournament, and then we see three in nine years, and we see it in back-to-back years, either it's an incredible probability of that being the case, or something changed that improved the chances of a 15 or 16 seed advancing. Because we can also throw Middle Tennessee State in there. They were a 15 seed that beat Michigan State back in 2015. Uh, we could throw, or 2000, yeah, 2016, 2016, I was in the ninth grade, 2016, Middle Tennessee State beat Michigan State, and UMBC, who didn't make the second round, but you can throw those in there too, like there's been, I think, 10, or no, 11, 15, or 16 first round wins, and five of them have come in the last 10 years, when there were only six in the first 30 years of the tournament's existence. And by the way, you can go back to 2011 and say CJ McCollum also was a 15 seed that beat Duke. And I think Mercer was a 14 seed that also made a, a, an upset there, which they existed before, but you see there's all kinds of upsets happening within recent years. And so the reason I think it's more the case, I would assume, is that the talent pool is closer together. And I think the the three-point revolution changes it a bit more because a streaky three-point shooting team in a sport in a game that's only 40 minutes and a one-game winner go home means that if a team shoots poorly, which a lot of college basketball teams shoot poorly, then you're going to see more of a you know randomness to the result. If one team shoots incredibly poorly, it increases the chances of a St. Peter's or increases the chances of a Marshall or a Middle Tennessee State or a Florida Gulf Coast to then pull off an upset with you know the, the other team shooting themselves out of a game, potentially. And so it just increases the randomness of victory. Again, I can't prove that to be statistically so. These are just hypothesizing. And the other hypothesis I would have, which is in the world of the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness, two of the g- most dramatic developments in college athletics over the past 30-plus years, both occurring full-time within the last five years, has now led to Oral Roberts' upset, deep tournament run, St. Peter's' deep tournament run, and like, for example, Iowa State who made it to the Sweet 16 and played Miami, Iowa State, they had a first-year coach coming from UNLV with a team that won two conference games the year before, and 
their team made it to the Sweet 16. I was looking at the team, and it's like their star players are transfers from Oklahoma. Transfer from Penn State uh, was their best player this year. So, uh, uh, sorry, he was at St. Bonaventure, then Penn State, then Iowa State. And so in the transfer portal era, you're seeing talented players not amass on the same teams and they could switch to another program and that spreads out the talent pool as well. I'm not sure if that's responsible for St. Peter's and Oral Roberts because we only have a two-year sample size, but it might be responsible for an Iowa State having two wins the year before and going to the Sweet 16 when their entire team is transfer players. And like we talked about last year, Houston had a team of entirely transfer players make it to the Final Four. And Texas Tech made it to overtime of the national championship game with a team almost entirely made up of transfer players. Which suggest And Baylor last year wins the national championship with three of their top four players being transfers from other programs. The transfer portal has opened up that opportunity for teams to get really good really fast and amount Goliaths in a short period of time. Or at the very least, in the case of Iowa State, if you can convince a lot of people to come play it together, get back to the tournament immediately and possibly make a deep tournament run because the tournament can be incredibly random. I would suspect that's more explained by the transfer portal than a St. Peter's or an Oral Roberts because St. Peter's and Oral Roberts are not necessarily destination schools. You could argue that taking talent from other top schools makes the probability. If the talent pool is spread out across the power conferences, like the 10 best conferences spread out the talent pool instead of it all amassing at Duke or all amassing at Penn State. For some reason, Penn State was the one that sticks with me because Isaiah Brockington for Iowa State played at Duke or played at Penn State. If they don't all amass at the same schools and they're able to switch to better situations, it spreads out the talent pool. And if you spread out the talent pool, Every team gets slightly worse or slightly more even, and that leads to possibly more upset-prone teams. I think that that more explains that than it does the St. Peter's thing, because St. Peter's and Oral Roberts are not destination schools like I just mentioned. So that was just a different way of explaining that. The thing that's interesting about the interest side of it is St. Peter's is going to be a phenomenon. Like Everyone is going to tune in to watch this St. Peter's team on Sunday. On Sunday, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, maybe this isn't enough to even capture people, but I think St. Peter's as a storyline is going to bring people in who are not already invested. I think the casual sports fan who you've created the stakes of the March Madness tournament, which is enough to bring some people in, like, it's a hugely profitable tournament because people like me. (laughs) who is now a casual college basketball fan who didn't watch any college basketball this year, but then comes into March Madness and starts to pretend like they know what they're talking about or just gets smart people to talk about it and then builds off of it by reading off Ken Palm rankings. Those people, like me, get brought in by a St. Peter's story because I know that just from my thinking, I have skipped more March Madness this year than I would in years past. I think 2020 and having perspective now removed from being a kid in high school who for so for being socially awkward uh, really threw himself into sports as a mechanism for these things really matter and this is what I'm going to assign value to in a difficult childhood I think 
now I can look at this and say, I just don't have the time for college basketball. And so if I'm a casual college basketball fan where I'm essentially watching laundry, except for some reason, the entire UCLA team, because it's pretty much the same UCLA team as last year. (laughs) I know every player on UCLA, except anyone else. I don't really know the players all that well. It's, it's a lot of watching jerseys go up and down the floor as a casual college basketball fan who who is drawn in because of the stakes and because of March Madness and because it brings me nostalgia from childhood and from 2021, that team and that March Madness is drawing me in with the stakes and that St. Peter's team is drawing me in with the storylines because I am marking my calendar to watch that St. Peter's team. If St. Peter's for whatever the reasons may be that we don't have a large enough sample size to figure out, like hypothesizing, it could be because St. Peter's or St. Peter's may be allowed to exist because of the transfer portal era and because of name, image, and likeness, and because college basketball is incredibly random and the analytics revolution and all those things combined, working in a way to spread out the talent pool of the sport and give players more power. And when players get more power, they can either form super teams at the top. Or if they're in bad situations, they can go play for the hundreds of basketball schools that exist. The hundreds of basketball schools desperate for a former UCLA or former Penn State player to come play for their team. If that is the reason that these teams are allowed to exist and we have more upsets, which again, less Davids, or I'm sorry, less Goliaths, but more Davids, you're going to see the storylines of college basketball only in the event of a St. Peter's. But the thing we're learning now is if there was an Oral Roberts last year and if there's a St. Peter's this year, we can get drawn into the storylines. We can get behind the Cinderella team. It's either got to be a Goliath who everyone's trying to take down or it's got to be a David. It's got to be a Cinderella story. Those are the two things that draw people into college basketball, which is not a new phenomenon. Like, I'm not saying this like it's some massive revolutionary concept. It's like, people really like Cinderella teams, and they really like Goliaths, but they don't really like Villanova. Like, that's not a massive, crazy statement. But what's interesting is that they've now created more Davids in college basketball. They've now created more storylines nationally that people can get invested in because who doesn't love a story of David and Goliath? It's why we keep telling it over thousands of years. And David, in this case, is St. Peter's, and Goliath is the entire system and construct of college sports and the college basketball system as we know it. Because we anticipate that a that a Gonzaga not a Gonzaga that's not a great example Gonzaga is now the national powerhouse of college basketball but we anticipate that a Duke a North Carolina a Kentucky an SEC school an ACC school a Big 12 school they're going to spend exorbitant amounts of money on their athletic program and that team should be really good St. Peter's Oral Roberts Abilene Christian UMBC from 2018, they all defy the lot, or 2017, I think was UMBC. They all defy the logic of the sport concept that we have in our head. And that is a storyline that the NCAA can sell because St. Peter's, nobody knows the players until now. 
Nobody knows the coach until now. Nobody knows the school if they found it on a map. And if I asked you what state St. Peter's is from, most of you couldn't have answered that question without looking it up on Google. By the way, if you want to know, I said it earlier in the podcast as well. See how close you were listening. They are from New Jersey. That is where St. Peter's is from. And that's a storyline that can be sold this weekend right next to Coach K's last game. Because Coach K was the Goliath, the one you love to hate. You wanted to see him lose. Coach K was that for generations of college basketball. It's why he's getting this tour as the greatest college basketball coach of all time. Yes, he won all these championships, and everyone saw him as a Goliath. 30 years ago, 20 years ago, with Jay Williams and Carlos Boozer. Again, 10 years ago, when he had a championship team in 2010, and Jaleel Okafor in 2015, and... He gave us the Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish story that is still the college basketball story of a generation. That is your Goliath. And if you can create Goliaths, you can create storylines and you can sell those storylines to sports fans because all of that is the basic root of sports. Stakes, one game, win or go home. March Madness is the stakesiest of all the tournaments. They've perfected that. They perfected that. 50, 60 years ago, and they've perfected March Madness, and they've sold the holy hell out of one game, win or go home, everyone is random. They can sell that really, really well, even if it's just laundry, and even if the players can't get paid, and even if you don't know who any of them are, or if you do know who they are, they're going to leave after three or four years, and you can find new players to emotionally invest in, but it might not even be three or four years anymore, because the players have power now it's not a lot of power but it's a small step in the right direction where they can leave the schools that they're playing at and go anywhere they want to go and make money from selling coca-cola and gambling according to (laughs) according to gonzaga gonzaga's selling gambling but you can sell little trinkets and do sponsorship deals, and you can make a little bit of money as well, which, by the way, they should be getting money from the schools. We need to not let the NCAA off the hook. They did not do the right thing in this situation. They were forced to do the right thing, and we need to continue to force the NCAA to pay college athletes under the protection of a union. Anyways, the aside to that is they've perfected the stakes part of it. Now they need storylines. And I think the decline of college basketball where last, you know, combined with just the entertainment boom where, you know, college basketball in the 1970s and 80s, you only had five options on your television and college basketball could sell a gigantic tournament that everyone could invest in because what else were you going to do for entertainment that was as addictive as watching the five cable ne- cable television networks that existed? In that changing revolution and the fact that college basketball is now an incredibly regional sport and even the stars of the sport you can't invest in because the stars of the sport play at obscure schools and don't make deep tournament runs and will try and do what they can to get to the NBA and protect the body. You can't sell the stars as storylines. You can't really sell the coaches non-coach K category as a storyline. So what can you sell as storylines? And all they have left to go back to is the classic tropes of David 
and Goliath. And now they've got a bunch more Davids. And they've got a magical, magical David this year in St. Peter's that will be the tournament storyline the same way that Sister Jean was the tournament storyline. And I ask you, who won the national championship the year that Sister Jean made that tournament run in 2018? Can you name who won the national championship the year of Sister Jean? If you guessed Villanova, you are correct. But the point still stands is that college basketball can sell you Davids and they can sell you Goliaths. And in the absence of Goliaths, which come up every few years, they've got themselves a David. And St. Peter's is at least what it appears to me. Maybe we'll come back and we'll find out it wasn't the case. But it is going to be the highest rated March Madness game probably since last year's like non-final four category like on Sunday primetime March Madness St. Peter's is going to be the highest rated game that would be my guess I could be wrong but we'll follow up with that on Monday's memes of the weekend podcast It is all about the U, baby. Shout out Uncle Luke in the 305 Miami Hurricanes going to the Elite Eight. So we mentioned the two storylines that draw casual sports fans into college basketball and generate ratings in this fight for entertainment era of the world and also of sports. So let's talk about the other types of uh, storylines that draw people in because we had two of those that came into focus on Friday night. One of them, dominant performances. And you could argue this is in the same camp as the Goliath, but dominant performances draw people in. And Caleb Love, who, as Ian Eagle calls him, the love machine. Which, by the way, when you don't know, this is how this works on this podcast, when you don't know who any of the players are on any of the teams in the tournament... And your first introduction to a player on a night where he dropped 27 points in 20 minutes in the second half of a game dropped 27 points, which is utterly ridiculous. And your first introduction to me is Ian Eagle calling him a love machine. That's your nickname for the rest of time. And if North Carolina makes a final four run, which they play St. Peter's now in just the most epic game that we're all gonna watch and laugh at just the the love machine is the star player for North Carolina and so now North Carolina's entire team is the love machine not sure why first year without Hugh without Roy Williams they might make a final four run the love machine is rolling 
for North Carolina. The thing I wanted to talk about also, so dominant performance. Caleb Love, North Carolina, 27 points in the second half of a college basketball game. It was the best performance any single player has had in any game of the, of the tournament so far. And that is what draws in stakes and storylines because then you can get the storyline of investing in the love machine. Everyone can fall into the love machine and everyone can start getting turning their attention to the love machine. That's how you create storylines, is dominant performances. Think Steph Curry. It was one, Steph Curry was a little bit of a David too in a Goliath situation. Steph Curry dominates the tournament. Now you've got a storyline. Carmelo Anthony, 2008, dominating the tournament. That's, or 2004, I think was Carmelo Anthony. 2003, something like that. Someone who dominates the tournament is a storyline. It doesn't have to be a Goliath like a, a Zion Williamson Duke team. It can just be a single player dominance and spectacular performances mean we'll start investing in your storyline. The other part, and I think this would probably be fourth on the list. So if we have Goliaths, Davids, outstanding performances, the fourth one is nostalgia. Nostalgia can draw an audience, not the audience you're ideally looking for, but you can get nostalgia of old people and young people who are afraid to push back against old people and think that movies made in the 1980s are so much better than the stuff made today, bro. So you can get some people with nostalgia. And what we're headed for with nostalgia is the non-zero chance. In fact, the now pro more probable than any other scenario chance that Duke is going to play North Carolina in the Final Four in Coach K's last season and the first season post Roy Williams where North Carolina basketball has now turned into a Cinderella team similarly to how we mocked UCLA last year because yeah UCLA basketball is back when UCLA was basically the equivalent of VCU they were an 11 seed that probably should have been ranked a four or a five seed but an 11 seed that ended up making it to the final four they were a Cinderella team, and we mocked UCLA for thinking they were a Cinderella team. They were just underseeded and then became a five or a four seed that made a deep run in the tournament, which, by the way, happens more often than we think. It's just difficult to quantify it. So think South Carolina. They made a Final Four. You probably forgot South Carolina made a Final Four, but they did. It was only four years ago, but South Carolina did make a Final Four. Actually, it was five years ago now. Damn. Five years ago, South Carolina made a Final Four. They fired their coach. It happens. North Carolina's in that purgatory now. But North Carolina is still the bluest of blue bloods in a Corona commercial where Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke are arguing about which is the bluest of the blue blood programs. Duke and North Carolina is the bitter rivalry of all of the sport, and they might play in the final four and damn it if that ain't the storyline of storylines it might be ruined by st peter's but damn if duke north carolina in the final four in coach k's last season coming off of north carolina beating the living shit out of duke in coach k's final home game wouldn't be the most amazing duke storyline of all time 
it would be incredible. And nostalgia is going to win the day. Out of all the possible storylines, nostalgia is going to be the thing in one last hurrah of a 30-year generation of college basketball that peaked in the 1980s and carried in the 1990s by the racial tension in America and white pretty boy Duke taking on Michigan and UNLV and Georgetown and Arizona in the 2000s and Arkansas in the mid-90s and damn if that college basketball water isn't going to be carried one last time by the most probable situation because Duke is favored against Arkansas and North Carolina is very much favored against St. Peter's. You get no complaints. If you get Duke to just beat Arkansas on Saturday and you get you win no matter what. If as long as Duke be as long as Arkansas gets bounced, as long as we get the Wampin Boys of Arkansas the bleep out of the tournament, the college basketball does not lose. Cuz if you get Duke in the final four, you get either Duke against St. Peter's in which you can milk the living shit out of the St. Peter's storyline or you get Duke and North Carolina, which is the nostalgia storyline that they can sell. It might not be the most compelling matchup, but damn if they can't sell a Duke-North Carolina Final Four for the ages. Oh my lord, it's going to be so heavily rated. And then they will use those ratings to sell a gigantic television contract to CBS in the streaming era of college sports or the streaming era of content and they will continue to exploit their labor in doing so because f the ncaa and don't let the ncaa off the hook oh but damn duke north carolina or duke st peter's there is no losing unless arkansas makes the final four if arkansas ruins all of this the ncaa is just gonna throw up their hands and you know what because i hate the ncaa i'm just quietly rooting for arkansas to beat duke so for the next three days we are going to be the biggest wampin boy arkansas razorback fans up on this podcast please arkansas just ruin everyone's fun and go to the final four just destroy everyone's fun as the sports anarchist that i am please let arkansas win now i know it's going to be so much more fun and the ncaa can sell st peter's and they can sell duke north carolina but please just let Arkansas win on Saturday and just ruin everyone's fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping into this bonus episode of the Take It's Easy a podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. But maybe this will serve as our version of Wired Up here on a Saturday. Make sure to download, follow, leave a five-star review. doesn't have to be a nice five-star review. just needs to be a five-star review. I love each and every one of you and appreciate your continued support of the show. Take it easy, everybody.